0: This is Michael Melfi, and welcome to the Be Investable podcast. Since late 2015, I have had the opportunity to host a pair of amazing programs called The Trip Talk and Be Investable, both on the Michigan Business Network. I invite you to please enjoy some of my legacy content I was able to create while being a host on that network. What you are listening to are some of the engaging conversations I've had with entrepreneurs and with innovative individuals from across the United States and, in fact, the world. They took the time to share their insights about what it means to be investable. Well, welcome back to another episode. This is Michael Melphy, and today I'm very excited to have our guest Anne Wynn Blatt on. Ann is a partner of Hummer Winblad Venture Partners, also one of the trustees for the Richard Scholl's Family Foundation. You may recognize that name, founder of Best Buy. And even more importantly than those, Ann has some pretty amazing honors. She is Upside Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the Digital Aid. She is Vanity Fair's top 50 leaders of the new establishment, has been a visionary award winner for SB Forum. And Business Week's top 25 power brokers in Silicon Valley. With that, Ann, I really want to welcome you to the show. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And, Ann, as most of my, my guests, I, I usually try to find when was the first time they made money or were exposed to business. And if my research serves me right, it was, it was sometime back in Minnesota at age seven. Is, is that correct?
1: That is correct. My friend Warren Buffett always says that people should get a paper route because they have to manage money and earn money. Um, there weren't paper routes available for young girls when I was growing up, so I picked strawberries for our neighbor, Nina Hoffman, for about two hours a day at age seven.
0: That's awesome. And and there's a quote that I found that says that patience and focus is a very good business, a very good balance with overall efficiency and that's served me well as an entrepreneur. And so it seems to be something you've followed through your career.
1: It's very challenging to uh, join uh, fast growth, emerging industry, and find balance. Uh, but it's very, very important. Uh, life goes really fast, and uh, you want to really experience uh, joy and challenge in your work and in your personal life. Uh, and it, that requires focus, uh, commitment, Intellectual and physical stamina, and you know, really, really enjoying the journey of your career.
0: And you have enjoyed that journey. You know, speaking of that, you were very active in software in the in the late seventies and early eighties. And would you mind sharing a little bit with our audience, just kind of what what you were doing and what that looked like back then for for those of us who weren't around at that, that time?
1: Well, I graduated from the University of Saint Thomas and the University of Saint Catharines uh, with a degree in mathematics, uh, a equivalent of a minor in computer science and a major in business as well. So I do encourage, uh, women to add a STEM component to their undergraduate degree. So I was a well sought after graduate, uh, and I had my pick of many jobs, uh, right after college and I went to work at the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis as a systems analyst, uh, in the research group. It was a challenging job. Um, my small coding skills uh, got to be improved very rapidly, but I found that I wasn't a great fit in a large organization, specifically the U.S. government or, or the Federal Reserve Banking System. So one day, even though I still had student loans, I quit my job to start a software company. It was the first test of whether I could uh, recruit other people to join me, so I convinced three of the top coders to take a year off um, from the Federal Reserve Bank, one actually quit his job and joined me in in founding a new software company called Open Systems. This was in 1976, the same year that Microsoft was starting. Apple would start soon after that. Oracle would start soon after that. None of us paid any attention to the fact that in Minnesota, where I was, uh, not in Silicon Valley, unemployment was, what, 12% mm. The president of the United States was about to resign. Uh, I've seen that once before. And the worst thing that happened that I wasn't paying attention to was the Minnesota Vikings lost the Super Bowl that year. So there was nothing good going on. Inflation (laughs) would soon follow. But realistically, computers were starting to get smaller. And it was kind of spontaneous combustion that people sniffed that out. And said we could afford to start start companies around this without capital because we can afford to buy the computing devices we can build the software on, and those were the first personal computers. It was a genesis for a spectacular company called Microsoft, one called Apple uh, a very large software company called Oracle and I was very fortunate to have built a a great little software company that was acquired about six years later called open systems
0: that 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 is a an amazing story and it, it's it's great to hear that you were able to do it like you said in 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 Minnesota of all places. You know, you weren't there in the valley and to be able to work with some of those other people that within those companies that we talk about. Is there any one story or memory that works out from or that that sticks out for you from those times uh when you were getting your company started and really growing it?
1: Yes, it was uh venture capitalists were non investing in software companies, the venture uh industry was very nascent. Uh there's a reason it was called Silicon it's called Silicon Valley here now. Uh in the companies were funded, were being funded were primarily hardware and uh semiconductor companies. So no one had any interest in funding software companies and entrepreneur being an entrepreneur was considered an outlier that yeah. maybe nobody else wanted you so you just did your own thing. My parents were aghast uh, at their sure. at their scholarly daughter (laughs) who had this great job at the Federal Reserve Bank, uh, who was making almost as much money as her father, the uh, high school basketball coach, would quit her job. But I needed to find money, so I was fortunate that there were uh, a number of banks in uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul. Uh, It was was a banking uh, headquarters almost at the time and I thought I could just go borrow money from the banks. So I wrote a list of all ten of them and started with the smallest one, thinking they would understand small businesses or software. I had my pitch already. I hmm. went and borrowed some money from my brother to buy a new outfit and uh, went from bank to bank. I got to bank nine, and by this time I knew that as soon as the person across the desk from me put their head down and stop looking me in the eyes, they were going to tell me, no, they could not give me $25,000 to go buy computers or or even more than that. It was not a large amount. Yeah. So by the time I got to the ninth bank, I had this extra class I took in college. I took the drama class. So I practiced crying in front of a mirror. And as soon as the, person, the banker put his head down, and I won't name the banker or the bank, I don't know if the banker is still around. Uh I started I burst into tears. I had practiced this at home over and over. And the banker was so upset that I walked out of that bank with the $25,000 and effectively was a funded company. So it it it's there was not the opportunity to go to angel investors or venture capital investors, which is still very challenging for entrepreneurs to raise money. Uh, but it is a statement that you know if you really believe and you you have the conviction and persistence again to uh, find your way there there where there's a will there's a way
0: I absolutely love that story and you' uh, you're hundred percent right when you when, when there's persistence there is a will there's a way and and that really has taken you through to uh, now being a partner, one of the founding partners of Hummer, Winblad, Venture Partners, and you guys happen to do a lot of investing in enterprise software companies, true to your roots. Um, and and you guys have a team there that that looks a lot at companies when when you, when you're when you are actively looking at deals, unlike the, unlike a bank that doesn't necessarily like to lend in, in for a lot of situations. What do you guys tend to look for in in projects you're you'd be interested in?
1: Being a venture capitalist, the key word here is venture. Uh, it's it's a very risky business but it's a wonderful position to have in industry because we get to audition the future. We fund A-round companies, meaning that typically the company coming in to pitch to us might have from two to ten people. They may have some software built or they may not. And they are trying to convince us that sometime over the next five to ten years they'll become a substantially large company. Uh, We funded a company called MuleSoft, which recently went public uh, in March, and that company we funded about 10 years ago, and there were five employees. Today there are over 1,000. So we have no crystal ball on the future, uh, but we try to find patterns in what we're seeing of what technology is now able to do. So are we at the right time to push ahead on uh, technology innovation? Second, we look at the people. Are these people that we trust and can trust us? Do we have a shared value system? And do they have the commitment to building a large company? Are are they really committed to to building a company? Or or are they interested in just building something, selling it to someone, and hopefully finding fortunes? The best best entrepreneurs are ones that build great companies and fortune follows versus fortune is the goal. Then we also go ask the market. Back to Warren Buffett again, as Warren said, the market bats last. And as Warren says, I only swing at strikes. He likes to use baseball analogies. (laughs) So we're trying to find something in our strike zone, Uh, something where we add value, where we can bring partners or customers to the table. And also we are Asking the marketplace, we call potential customers and say, if someone built something like this, what do you think would be the value of it? Do you find, uh, a need in your company to solve this particular problem? Uh, you know, have you already seen other companies solving this problem with different technologies that, even though they might not be as exciting, are fit the bill. So we're trying to size the market, trying to assess the customer appetite for it, trying to look at the the people that are starting it, which may be only two people. One of them Mm -hmm. may or may not be the CEO, but they have to run that company and attract excellence from day one. And then we're asking them to to judge us. Are we the right investors for them and and vice versa? So there's a lot of due diligence we do. Then we sit around as a team, and uh, you know, because we love the glass half full, we're paid to be optimists and and try to rip holes in our in our logic. But the net is we're investing on in assumptions, not facts. We look at that assumption set as we march along and say, are they still true? If not, how do we help the company change course?
0: i um- those. those are, thank you for that. I'm going to ask the other side of this question in a second, but I, I want to ask you. So, as we, as most people know, venture capitalists tend to see a lot of deals, and they have to be pretty selective in the ones they do choose. Is there any commonalities or traits you see in the ones that aren't ready, or the ones you don't choose, that if someone was saying, "Hey, if I could improve this, my chances would be better."
1: Well, we have lots of what we call sins of omission, where we said no, and we look backwards and say, gosh, <laughs> we should have said yes. So sure. we talk about our, our our selections and omissions as well. Um, the, the biggest challenge we see uh, for entrepreneurs presenting to us in the enterprise software sector, that's core software that businesses would buy, is are we funding a company or a product? Angel investors like to find great products, uh, and they they might invest in 10 companies for every one we invest. And then from those 10, let two rise to the surface. Venture capitalists can't do this. We have to make every investment count. So this question of whether it's a great product but not a company is a tricky one. And we're... Looking at how well the entrepreneurs express not only how they're starting out, meaning their first product, but how they're building a business around it. What, how might they land in an enterprise and then expand? How do they move from a product to a, to something strategically valuable to a company, which we would call a platform? How, how, how would the scaling economics work over time? Uh, and how would the efficiency of the company grow so that they would be generating their own cash at some point in time? What are the metrics for growth? So once we really fall in love with the product, which is why why we keep going with the meeting, mm-hmm. is we then have to have the same love affair with the business.
0: Okay. I think that's very insightful and for our listeners something that uh, – is very a very big distinction that I think some people get confused about. So thank you for that. I, and I, I think, I mean, like I said on the other side of it, when I go to the HWVP website, I see six characteristics you guys look for. Uh, you know, in, in our world, and when we talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, we, we say, what does it take to be investable? And you guys lay them out in those six characteristics. Um, I'd love to ask you, when you hear the words, be investable, what does that mean to you? What, what does that stand for?
1: It's tricky to say be investable. It's what is the bar for a venture capitalist. And having been an entrepreneur myself, which our partners have all been, other than my co-founding partner, John Hummer, who had an extraordinary career as a professional basketball player, an unusual route to be a venture capitalist. Mm -hmm. We all know that when you're starting a business or running a business, your top priority is not be investable. At the same time, once we commit to a company and once uh, our job is to help you to continue to raise capital, so you have to develop capital-raising skills as well as business-running skills and visionary capability to run a company. To be investable means how, how am I going to get the capital to stay in business? Am I going to generate it myself? Am I going to get it from an outsider? Uh, But be investable really means those things I'm talking about. To get venture capital, we have to believe at the beginning that you could build a a very substantial business, that you might have the opportunity to be a public company. In truth, more companies are acquired than go public, but we don't fund based on your opportunity to be acquired. We we fund because you have found a large, unmet market need. Number two, you're the right people to do it. Number three, you can build some competitive advantages early. Some people call that moats around your business. I call it competitive advantages. Uh, I refer entrepreneurs to Michael Porter's book, Competitive Advantage, and have them look at the value chain methodology in competitive advantage, figure out uh, is your moat real or not. And then you've got to be able to rock and roll with bit. Uh, you can't predict the future either. There's a lot of noise around hot investing areas. If you're an artificial intelligence company today, you've got thousands of competitors. The noise level is deafening. So you might end up in a place where you're in the hottest area but the toughest area. Uh, how do you attract excellence? Uh, we found software, and software really is people. Your intellectual capital is way more important than your financial capital. And if you don't attract the right talent, it doesn't matter what money you raise. So all of those factors contribute to being investable. And really, how do you grow into the opportunity that you see ahead uh, without too many setbacks along the way? Because you will have a few surprise attacks on your business. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely, I I appreciate that. And and before we wrap up, I, I do have one other question for you. So, since that 1976 start of, you, of your your software company, you've seen four decades of entrepreneurship. You've seen technology emerge and grow, and you've seen the role of the female in in not only the entrepreneurial world but also the the tech world really transform. What do you think? What do you think has been the biggest transitions? Uh, of the role of females in the tech community and the entrepreneurial community in let's say the last few years
1: well i'd like to preface that by mentioning that today of the ten most valuable companies in the world, public companies, six of them are technology companies and they're uh, and other than Apple, which is one of the six, they are primarily software companies and they Encompass both enterprise software and consumer software, so the tech industry is becoming it has become big, mm-hmm. which means there should be opportunities for all. It's no longer the tiny little um, niche sector that I participated in as a startup CEO uh, in nineteen seventy six the In the enterprise software sector uh it still has a pretty high bar on we have not funded anyone that doesn't have a STEM background of some sort because it's deep software that you're building. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of our more recent CEOs is a young Israeli woman, Limor, uh, who has started a company called PeerList in the security software sector. And, you know, we were really excited to meet Limor. She is an amazing uh, woman. Uh, with a lot of experience also in the security area, from our sector, we, we're niche. We're we're niche investors, meaning our niche is enterprise software, or we call it focused investors. We're in our segment. We do not see enough women, which is disappointing to me. Today, across the U.S., only about 16% of graduating computer science classes are women, uh, which is about the same when I went to school. Uh, so I'm trying to do my best to talk to universities i'm uh, I speak on campuses quite frequently to encourage people to get degrees in computer science, mathematics, and other stem disciplines so they can participate in this exciting sector. We don't do direct to consumer deals uh there uh you know many of the founders have much more graded backgrounds uh, that every sector is undergoing digital transformation so it's available to men and women unfortunately the venture capital sector is only about seven to eight percent women as senior partners and that is that hopefully will change we're seeing a number of new firms being started by women uh, a number of uh, high-performance uh, venture capitalists being women and th- that will increase the number of women across all of the sectors. Uh so for us, uh we are and I am participating to uh women that are fu- that are starting new funds. I frequently give them guidance. I speak at universities okay. encouraging women to get STEM backgrounds uh for the sector that we invest in. Uh and so that it's not a male-dominated mm-hmm. industry, which it does not need to be. Um, I, I think I'm a testament to coming out the STEM sector, sticking in the enterprise software segment, and you know it's been an amazing uh, career ride so far for me. Sure. I, I do think one uh, thing I will say is, as paraphrasing Abraham Lincoln is. Men handle diversity well, uh, but it is when they are given power that their true moral character shows. And power is not a good thing.
0: Mm-hmm. If, there, if there are people who are listening who want to get more involved or be more supportive for that that movement, is there any is there any groups that you work with? Or, or you know, obviously the, the 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 females that are that are that are coming out and going to college, getting a STEM education, it would be a, obviously a, a thing they, we could recommend. Is there any type of programs that you, you see out there or any anything that is there to support, you know, females in entrepreneurship and females in, in the tech community? Almost
1: everywhere um, there are women investing groups, if women feel more comfortable with that. Uh, here in the Valley there's uh, there are tons of groups. Cheryl Sandberg has, of course, her lean-in organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a great group in San Francisco called Broadway Angels. Um started by a great friend of mine, Sonia Howell, um, who ha- spent most of her career in venture capital and now does angel investing. Um, the, the important thing that you're mentioning is that women should network as much as men do and build strong networks. Uh, they should look at alumni from their university who have succeeded in the tech industry. Uh, they should talk to women uh, about the companies that they're in. They should look at the culture of the companies. Uh, And there are bad cultures across all industries, including the tech industry. Uh, Understand the mission statements and value statements of companies that they intend to join. Talk to other women there before they join them. Uh, And, you know, really find, you know, the network that, that that they can follow. It's very challenging for new college grads right now to even parse what these job descriptions mean. Uh, even though we have very high employment, the new grad is on is on a very confused journey. So networking is really, really key here, especially with your alumni organizations, uh, with overachievers that you know. And don't be afraid to reach out to anyone. Uh, I have alumni from the University of St. Thomas. Call me all the time. <laughs> and, you know, I do the best I can to to help them on their way. Um, and sometimes I send them to other alum who would be better guides for them. Uh, but that would be my recommendation is there's plenty of great career routes for young women. Uh, and don't don't try to go it alone. Uh, you know, find that network that can help you along your way.
0: I, I appreciate that. And I think that that's some sage advice. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. And with that, Ann, I want to thank you so much for your time, for joining us. I know personally this has been amazing to get to speak with you, and I, I know on behalf of our listening audience, they appreciate all of the insight and wisdom you shared, as well as some of the anecdotal stories. So thank you so much.
1: And thank you for including me in all the great work you do. Thank
0: you. Thank you for taking a look back with me at some of the relevant conversations we've had over the past couple years across the entrepreneurial ecosystem and the investable world. As always, check out the Be Investable podcast's latest episodes here on iTunes and also look for some of my blog posts on the Michigan Business Network.